0: They... Uh, what is nothing? Yeah,
1: that's deep.
0: What in the fuck are we doing here?
1: Uh, that's sucks. Sucks. What is something? That's deep, bro. Oh, Welcome. My chair's cut on the rug. Welcome to That's Deep Bro. Serious Questions with Silly People. I'm your host, Christina P. Christina P. Uh, Yeah, thanks for joining. It should be uh, an interesting topic. I'm going to get into it in a moment. But first, I want to thank everybody, all the people all over the world, shout out, who came to my show's um, lately, this month, thank you so much. If you came out to Irvine, to Brea, to Burbank, to the comedy store, I really appreciate um, your support and your love. And if you could continue to support That's Deep Bro by going to That's Deep Bro Podcast.com and clicking on my Amazon banner to do your Amazon shopping, I would really appreciate that. Kicks back a little change to the show. I love Amazon. I use Amazon Prime. I hope you do too. Uh, You know, because you get like free one or two day shipping, which is amazing. Also, also, hold on, let me just think. Oh, I narrated a documentary um, that is coming out soon, I think in August, and limited release in movie theaters. Just got picked up by Samuel Golden Mayer. Mayer, a big studio, picked up my documentary, not my documentary, but the documentary I have narrated called Can We Take a Joke? Um, Ted Balacher directed it, and I was lucky enough to be selected to be the narrator it 's a great documentary about what 's happening in comedy with the rise of political correctness and the outrage uh, the outrage mob culture of Twitter of Facebook of everybody being offended all the time by every little tweet you know people have lost jobs um, by what they 've tweeted. <laughs> And, uh, currently there's a comedian in Canada, uh, facing a lawsuit over a joke that he told uh, a few years ago. So that's, and then just because he offended somebody and that person apparently in Canada can sue you if they don't like what you're talking about, which is, which is horrendous. Uh, I love Canada, but my God, really dudes, really bros, ultimates. Um, so can we take a joke? It's coming out in theaters in the summer and then will be, I'm sure, on the interwebs very shortly after. Check it out. Gilbert Gottfried's in it. Penn Gillette, Lisa Lampanelli, and many, many more. Can not we take a joke? Okay, there. Also, I'm performing at the Ventura Comedy Club April 20th and then May 27th and May 28th at the La Jolla Comedy Store. That's fancy San Diego La Jolla. La Jolla. Yeah. Also, I'm usually at the Comedy Store every week in some form or capacity. If you're visiting LA, I highly recommend you check out the Comedy Store. It is it is under a huge revitalization. I mean, Joe Rogan's there every week. I think practically you got Billy Berg, uh, you got Dropins from we had Seinfeld show up, um, Chris Rock, everybody, the bit all the all the hits, Amy Schumer. Nikki Glazer, who I love. A lot of people. Um, there, that's it. I think that's all I have for the announcements. Christina P.A.Z. on Instagram. Christina Pe on Twitter. Blah, blah, blah. Do you really want to hear all this crap? No. Who the fuck wants to hear this? Uh, so there we go. The topic today uh, is going to be on selfishness. The selfishness. Uh, and I think people have, people have written in in the, in the past... Oh, I forgot to send this email. Don't you love when you craft a wonderful uh, email and you don't send it to someone and then you're like, why didn't this person write back to me? And you get all upset with them and then you realize, oh, it's in your drafts. You big dummy. You big dum-dum. So uh, a lot of people have written in and asked me to do Ayn Rand um, and she's a very controversial figure in philosophy mainly because a lot of people don't consider her to be proper philosophy for a few reasons I mean number one her writing I don't is not I've never really been it's never been uh, really like a cogent um, philosophy of sorts it's not like Aristotle or whatever you know any other standard white guy uh, who writes stuff in a treatise treatise on thought things like that she wrote The Fountainhead which I'm sure maybe at some point you read in college or maybe in high school. And that was made into a movie, a very long, boring, fucking movie uh, that I've tried getting through a few times. And same with Atlas Shrugged, tried a few times, but I just didn't have the will. Uh, and then also Atlas Shrugged, huge book of hers, and her philosophy is called Objectivism. And I I am in no way, shape, or form qualified to get into the particulars of Ayn Rand, the, the intricate web. Of of uh, terrifying, <laughs> exciting, and uh, bizarro thoughts that she had, but there's one facet of it that I think is kind of interesting to explore, and that was her really, really f- uh, firm belief, and 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 really. Um, what she was all about <laughs> was the virtue of selfishness. And that is even a, a little book that she wrote. And I don't mean little to, to diminish it. I think it literally was not a long book I'm saying. So if you want to pick it up, the virtue of selfishness. I Gosh, I really hope I'm right about this. I'm not sure. But... uh but yeah, that's part of her philosophy and uh, and let's talk about selfishness. I think that's something it's been on my mind a lot lately as a new mother. I struggle with uh with feeling inadequate, with am I doing enough? Is this kid going to be perfect enough? Am I perfect enough? Am I am I breastfeeding right? Am I developmentally challenging my kid right? Is this nanny right? <laughs> am I holding him right? Am, am, I, am I good enough? And then also simultaneously wanting to be uh, selfish and go sit in a dark room and stare at the walls for as long as I possibly can because that's what I did for a long time. And now I'm finding myself not being able to have the time to do that. But let's get into it, bros. Let's get selfish. Let's, let's get selfish. Selfish. Okay, here we go. <laughs> It's just me, myself, and I. 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 Meow, 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 Remember that song? you yeah. <laughs> This was a really, really cool song, man. It still is, right? Uh-oh. God, I'm proud of what I am. Yeah, it's a really good song. De La Soul. I know, look, I don't pretend to know a lot about hip-hop, but I know it doesn't suck, and I know that this song definitely didn't suck. Yeah, I was really young when this, this one came out. So young, guys, so young. Anyway, De La Soul. There you go. Me, myself, and I. So... Uh, I got a, an email, as usual, these episodes start with an email I get from somebody that starts a thought spiral, and then the thought spiral goes somewhere philosophical and then back down to earth. So uh, here it goes. This, oh, this email really, really affected me, man. Ugh. Okay. Hi, Christina. I'm a young mom turning 24 today, to be exact. That was April 7th. Congratulations. Happy birthday, lady. I had my daughter at age 22 with a guy that I am not married to. We are engaged and we live together with our daughter. As a young person listening to this podcast, I can't help but feel down and out on myself and thinking that my life is, well, kind of over. I've graduated college, reproduced, and now I'm a stay at home mom waiting to get married. Is my life done? Is this it? I can't help but wonder if this is all that's set out for me. I feel like I'm in a loveless relationship that's forced for our child, but neither of us are, you know, unhappy just complacent i'm not too sure where i'm going with this email but i feel out of place and unrelatable and yeah unrelatable as a young mom in a world that speaks to live 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 before you give up your youth for your child if you have any sort of advice though you haven't experienced it yourself i would be grateful to listen well wouldn't you know it lauren i'm an expert on everything and i have advice for people on stuff that i haven't experienced um well, listen, Lauren, Lauren, shit, I'm not supposed to say her name. Let me edit that out. Well, I don't know. Do I have to? I mean, look, how many, how many Laurens are there in the world, right? I won't say her last name. Okay, look, listen, Lauren, here. Uh, <clears throat> no, no, your life is not over. Your life is not, nowhere near being over. Uh, and let me start by saying this. I have a very good friend, Jenny Pentland, who's been on my show twice. And if I had the time to call her, I should have. I'm sorry, but the week kind of collapsed on me. Uh, She had four kids very young, I think around the same age as you. And her life is definitely not over. Now, having said that, yeah, it's flipped. You've just kind of reversed some stuff. Uh, but that doesn't mean that your life is over by any stretch of the imagination. It just means that you're living a life, by the way, which was the norm for women up until the late 70s. Uh, my mother's generation, not that far ago, I would say, you know, up uh, literally up until maybe even the 80s, your life is kind of what the norm was, so... Don't feel like, you know, you're, now you're the anomaly, but not so long ago, this is kind of how it went for us all, for us ladies as gals. But uh, it sounds to me like you've actually laid the groundwork for a pretty excellent life. You graduated from college, huge check, good, good for you. I'm a huge believer in higher education. I think it's, I don't understand people that are like, why go to college? Well, why not? Four years to get drunk and get laid and read amazing books. Yeah, it's expensive, but you know what? The fuck else are you gonna do from eighteen to twenty three or twenty two? Or how I don't forget how old it is. But listen, meows. I hate. I, I always get sad when people think their life is over because of um, things that have gotten thrown at you or things that you've done. There's no perfect route. There's never a perfect straight line. Linear way of living and being—it's just a series of decisions, right? And then when this decision doesn't work for you in some way, shape, or form, you kind of recalibrate like a GPS, right? You're you're rerouting. Boop, boop, boop. All oh, this doesn't feel good. So something about what you're doing right now doesn't feel good. That's okay. You kind of modify with what you got. Boop, boop, boop. Rerouting. Rerouting. Find the new place. You're not by no means over. And by the way, I had a friend who was 17 years old and had twins at 17 and was a single mom. And all that, I mean, she partied, but she had to wait a little bit. You just got to wait a little bit if you want to, I don't know. I mean, is that what you mean by live? Is it partying? You can still party with kids. Apparently (laughs) I know people that totally do. My, my parents did seem to bother. Didn't seem to slow my dad down a bit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You want to go to the bars? Bring the kid. Uh, they don't mind. Little kids love dancing with sailors. They do. I absolutely love dancing with sailors and hanging out in bars and nightclubs <clears throat> on school nights when I was nine. You can totally do that with your kid. But no, it, it's, I swear to God, listen, man, I've had friends that have done it both ways. I've done it the opposite way than you. And to be honest, there are days where I'm like, I should have had kids at 22. I really should have had kids because you're actually set. To do things the right way uh biologically speaking listen i 'm a fucking thirty nine year old broad i shouldn 't be up at four in the morning with a baby because physically uh biologically i'm you know i 've pushed biology, I had to take pills to get pregnant there's a reason nature was shutting it down with me <laughs> because i 'm too old and tired to deal with uh, a little tiny baby, but you on the other hand, this is perfect biologically. Man, you nailed it. Do it early, and here's the, here's the great part: your kid's going to be in school pretty soon. Free up a bunch of your days, right? And that's when you can do your live, live, live. That's when you can explore um, and and do all and do some of the stuff that maybe right now, if, if the baby's super little, you can't do. But um, yeah, actually, it's kind of your life might be the way to do it. By the time your kid's ten, what you're thirty two, that's chill, man, that's great. That's the time you should be going into the workforce when you've got a little more a little bit more life experience under your belt. And look, what are you doing in your twenties? Uh, yeah, you're figuring some stuff out, you're maturing, you're making a lot of mistakes. but also, I think having a kid teaches you those lessons, but you're in an advanced curriculum. I feel like you're in. A, you're just. You're learning all the shit that you need to be a parent when you're in your twenties. You find out later. That's kind of what you've been groomed for is responsibility. But if you you kind of just bypassed a bunch of steps in your development, I think. Um, and you can do those things that you should be doing in your twenties. By should I mean making mistakes, uh, trying every possible thing that you remotely are curious. About, I think you can do it, but in a modified version. You're not going to be staying out till four in the morning, obviously. But what, what was the fun in that, anyways? I'm not so sure I had a ton of fun <laughs> staying up nights getting hammered and puking. And I'm not, I'm not sure that was a, a great use of my time. And, and, and in all honesty, I was a little too high strung to really enjoy my 20s uh, because I was so worried about the future. I was so worried about being a successful person that I don't think I enjoyed. A lot of my 20s, the way I should have. Uh, I was not carefree. I was full of anxiety. I was full of uh, anger and weird stuff. You know, I didn't, I didn't do my 20s right. If I could go back and do them now, knowing what I know now, which is that life turned out okay for me, I would definitely do a lot more reckless shit. Hey, man, but some people aren't wired to do reckless 20s type things. I think I was always wired to be married, I was always wired for monogamy, and some people are. Uh, just wired to do the responsible thing at an early age, and that doesn't mean just because you're you're an anomaly in this present culture doesn't make you uh, doesn't make your life over, dude. No. Now, as far as your relationship, I don't know. That's one you got to work on. I don't know enough about you or him. Or and complacency seems to be the norm. I, I mean, as long as you're, you said you're not unhappy, so that's good, and you can actually work up from complacent because complacent is. It's okay. It doesn't mean things are bad. It just means they've stalled. So maybe you can actually actively work towards something positive. I think you can. Complacent can be rescued. Complacent just means you guys need to go out for a dinner every now and then and you need to touch his peener a little bit more and maybe, you know, do those wifey things that guys like, you know, like look nice. Like my dad says, I don't know why women, the American women, don't know how to serve a man. You got to bring him sausage. He should never ask me if I want a plate of sausage. That's what he said about his American girlfriend. She doesn't know to bring me a plate of sausage or some beer or something. You know what I mean, Lauren? Bring your husband something nice. Bring him beer. But no, nobody's life is over. And can I tell you, I understand you're on the end of this and you're feeling stuck. Believe me. Uh, nobody's life is over unless it's really over. You know what I mean? Unless it's really over. <laughs> There's still time, kiddo. There's plenty of time to fuck up your life. Don't worry. Which brings me today uh, to today's topic. Interesting, interesting enough, Miss Lauren, because... One thing you will need to do to dig yourself out of this hole of feeling trapped, which I have found uh, really helps, is to embrace being a little bit selfish. Oof. Isn't that terrifying? And I think for women especially, the idea is so uh, foreign to us and poses a real threat to the way we exist because women, most of us are are trained to be uh, accommodating, to bring a plate of sausage to our men uh, to be everything to everybody to the kid to the husband to the job to the life to the significant others to the whatever dude you know you're you're trained to be to be everything to everyone except yourself and miss Lauren the only way you're gonna get out of this situation is to assert your existence in the world to thrust yourself into the shit you want to do and to impose your will. I once had a boss that told me you got to impose, you must not be afraid to impose your will on other people. Impose your will. And uh, do I mean completely shirk your duties as a mother and a wife? No, of course not. What I do mean is a modified version of what dudes have been doing since the beginning of time. And I don't mean that in a shitty uh, you know, men are evil way. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that men, for whatever reason, are blessed with the ability to be a little more selfish than us. And I don't say that in a fucking, you know, I hate dudes way. I'm saying it in a way of, man, I wish I had more of that. And they don't have guilt over uh, being a little more selfish. They don't carry the same horse shit that we do, about wanting to do some stuff on our own, about you know, uh, putting imposing your will on others, and about taking what you need. They're not afraid to ask, explicitly state what they want. Not afraid to take what they want, uh, and they're not afraid to tell someone to get the fuck out of their way. Okay, and these are all lessons I've learned watching male comedians over the years. I'm in a very male-oriented male dominated business and I've watched them and I've watched them for years and at first the environment was so foreign to me like male comics were just I didn't understand because there was there was this hierarchy there's a pecking order there's a men men have a fucking way of doing things that makes sense it does kind of does (laughs) like there there's a there's a definite hierarchy in stand-up right you you start and you're just an MC. You're the smallest guy on the totem pole. Actually, no, beneath you. You're an open micer. You're an open micer. You're, you're lower than dirt. You're nobody. And then you fucking claw your way to being an MC. Okay, now you're there. Now you claw your way into being a feature act. Great. You're still not at the top. And now you're a headliner. Okay, you're, you're closer, but now you got to be a famous headliner. Like it's a, and, and, and the pecking order is understood by dudes, it is implicit. It is, it is understood that the MC does not act certain ways towards the headliner, that the headliner sits in the green room. The MC and the feature are not allowed to bring in their dumb friends. You know, the headliner is watching the TV, watching the sports game that he's watching. Guess what? You can't pick up the remote and, and, turn, and, and, and turn the channel on what the headliner is watching. No, because men respect hierarchy, they respect the packing, the pack leader, the packing order. And they're not afraid uh, to ask for what they want. They're not afraid to demand what they want. I've watched my husband do it time and time again in business, and I love it. And I love it. And I only, you know, I'm glad I have a a white son uh, who's going to have an excellent life in America. But sometimes I wish I had a daughter just so I could uh, teach her these valuable lessons that I have learned watching successful men over the years. Okay, so Lauren, how does this apply to you? How does this apply to anybody listening, especially women? Dudes, we're, were raised to be subservient, and it's it's such a subtle, um, it's a subtle cultural thing. It's it's I'm telling you, and it goes down to. Picking out toys, man. I'm, I'm looking at the toys now that they have for boys and girls, and it is like, are we fucking still? Are really, really, bros? Like, I mean, for my son, okay, here's the toys options, okay? Cars, things to, you know, crash, active toys, toys that thrust you into the world, into existence. Female toys, passive. You can be a princess, you. By the way, and princesses get rescued. Princesses wield no power. The princess is waiting for someone to come and uh, rescue her. That is the lore of a princess. If you want to look, if you want to get deep on it, the princess is a symbol of passivity, of uh, of of uh, 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 what's the word I'm looking for? A powerlessness. Uh, A princess waits for others to give her power. The fairy godmother rescues a princess. The prince rescues the princess. It is a fucking horrible mythology. And let me tell you something. My Eastern Bloc parents, as uh, as crazy as they were, never bought me princess shit. Okay? I never had a fucking wand. I never wore a princess hat. I never had a Barbie until I was 13. Thank God. Thank God. God, my father bought me boys' toys growing up. I, I had a BMX dirt bike. It was black. <laughs> I wanted the one with the pink streamers, okay, on the handlebars. Believe me, I wanted the girl stuff, but he said no because that bike sucks. And you know what? He's right. It sucked compared to what the BMX dirt bike could do. My dirt, bike, I was fucking riding that thing in the wash in L.A., man, the L.A. River. Bam, taking it down. couldn't do that with the pink girl bike. Now, now, and I know you guys are going to say, but there's value in the feminine. You're right, there is. But let's not look at the princess. Why not buy your daughters the queen? Because the queen is the one that holds the power. The queen is the one that rules the land. The queen is the one. And the British monarchy, watch your Elizabeth movies. The most powerful reign in all of English history was the queen, Elizabeth, Okay. And Victoria, okay. Not Henry. He fucked up everything. Anyway, the point is the boys, the boys' toys, here's what I can choose for my my little boy. A Viking hat? I swear to God. Why? Vikings. Powerful. They pillage, they rape, they take what they want. I swear to God, a Viking hat on a smiling little white boy, a three year old white boy smiling with a Viking helmet on. And I thought, this is so interesting. I can choose a princess or a Viking. And what does a Viking do? A Viking takes what the fuck they want. Vikings are selfish. And it starts at that small age, I do believe, even down to play. And play is how little kids learn, right? <clears throat> All these stupid emails I get from uh, <clears throat> these, you know, baby.com, they tell you how old your kid is. Do This week your kid's, you know, 17 weeks old and... You got to play with them. You got to talk to them. That's how they learn. Children learn through play. And if children learn through play, we got to really watch the kind of toys we give them because Jesus Christ, the Viking is what my kid's going to be. And if I had a girl, I would give her a Viking hat because this horse shit of Barbies and princesses, my God, what a dumb lesson. At least give her the queen, not the princess. The point is, asserting yourself into the world lauren taking what you want number one and it's gonna take especially at your young age a lot of young girls you're in the phase of your life where at least i was at that age concern with boys will they like me is the boy liking me am i cute enough am i skinny enough am i doing that boo boo, 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 boo. insecure insecure totally normal totally normal but then you grow up into be a woman and you realize who gives a fuck I don't give a fuck anymore. I was with my gynecologist this last week, and uh, we were talking about uh, we were talking about hormones and how it really affects you, And she goes, "You know, it's so funny. Uh, women at my age, they're so accommodating, we worry about everybody. We worry about the baby, we worry about the husband. We, we take care of everybody right that's our role as nurturers caregivers and then you get older you get into menopause she said and she goes women don't give a fuck anymore <laughs> they get really uh, turned inward you know and some of that is a function of hormones i do think that you know estrogen and progesterone they wire you to give a fuck a little more about other people than about yourself and maybe it's hormonal why men have this wonderful ability uh, to to kind of not be oriented that way. They're oriented towards the world, external, right? Thrusting yourself into the world. They're taking what they want. And I'm not saying this is for everybody. Obviously, obviously. But the, from what I've lived, what I've seen, this is kind of how it goes. And uh, it, it, maybe some of it is hormonal. But the, she said the older women, the menopausal women, they don't give a fuck. And I thought that's so funny and so true because that's what happens to older women. Our vag dry up, and uh, and we just get kind of cranky and shut down, and we don't give a shit about that male approval anymore. Because listen, they're not looking at us anyways, right? Because we're fucking old. And once you're out of that cycle of needing male approval and male gaze, um, it's kind of liberating, you know. I wore a I wore a hijab. What is that shit called in the Middle East? <clears throat> they, they covered women up. I was in Saudi Arabia and I had to wear. Uh, the hijab, the head wrap and the full, you know, make you look like the fucking ghost from Pac-Man. I wore that whole thing and I thought I would hate it, but I loved it. I loved it because I was out of the system. I was free. I was no longer uh, a subject of male approval or disapproval. I was no longer stared at, gawked at, leered at. Yes, I could get raped, uh, for anything (laughs) or thrown into prison, uh for drinking water during Ramadan, but still uh the part about not having to look cute was que bella, beautiful. That was the best. To not have to wear makeup or uh put a nice bra on or you know squeeze into jeans was just ugh, talk about liberating. Those bras maybe they know what they're doing. I don't know. So this brings me to the philosoph- the philosophical <laughs> portion of this show. Which is uh, Ayn Rand. Very controversial issue in philosophy. She is pretty much universally shit on by everybody in the philosophy community. Uh, if you don't know that, I'm just giving you a heads up. Don't ever bring this woman up as somebody. <laughs> if you're at a party, and some, I don't know why people talk about philosophy at a party, but you know, you're at some fancy academic thing, and they're like, who do you like? And you say Ayn Rand. I mean, it's tantamount. To saying you think Chumbawamba is like one of the greatest bands of all time, you kind of look at it as, as as a fucked heart. So here we go. The Fountainhead. Atlas shrugged. Uh, the, again, the most horrible movie on the planet was The Fountainhead. It's black and white. You want to blow your brains out. It's like four hours long. The book is even longer. Jesus Christ, you know, it's a good five to six hundred pager. I tried reading that thing in college a handful of times. And I I actually liked it. Like, I I liked it. It was just too long. I don't have, you know, 10 years to slog through the fountainhead. Um, So what does it mean? What is objectivism? So I think to understand objectivism, understand Ayn Rand, you have to understand where she came from, okay? And I think that's why a lot of Americans really get their assholes tightened when they hear about what Ayn Rand stood for. It's because it's a cultural thing. And I think a lot of people don't get is that she was kind of a hardcore Eastern blocky, which I totally grew up around. I fucking get it. Like when I was watching, I was I got into Ayn Rand a few years ago, and I was like, yeah, this is how Eastern blockers think. And to Americans, this is like the craziest thing ever, and it's really not like, <laughs> not to European Eastern blockers. Okay, so Ayn Rand was born uh, in Russia, mother Russia. She's a Russian Jewish lady, uh, but she was a bourgeois and she lived in St. Petersburg. She had three... She, uh, she was the eldest of three daughters of Zinyovi Zakirach and his wife Anya Boris Okay, so basically... Oh, and she hung out with Vladimir Nabokov's sister, Olga. How cool is that? I don't know if you're a fan of... I know it's supposed to be Nabokov. I don't know how the fuck to say. It. It's Nabokov. Vladimir Nabokov. He wrote Lolita and if you ever want to read a book that will make you feel so dirty and conflicted and fucking weird. And it's odd because that book is genius and that it actually makes you root for the pedophile. He's a pedophile, in case you didn't know that. Humber, humbear is the, the guy who's the, uh, the character in the story. It's about a man who's obsessed with a little girl named Lolita. It's so wrong and it's it's so disturbing. And it's possibly one of the most beautifully written uh, books in, and he didn't even write it. Wait, a- English was Nabokov's 20th language. Okay. Okay. Uh, but Lolita is one of the most beautiful books written. Let me find an excerpt, um, from it. Hold on the beginning of the book. Oh, it's just like candy the way he writes. And the guy didn't even write in, uh, in English. Okay, let's see. It's a really disturbing book. You love it. Don't, don't watch the movie. Oh, here we go. God, this is great. Okay, you want to hear the beginning of a great novel. This is it. This is in the very beginning of Vladimir Nabokov's Lolita. Ready? <clears throat> Lolita. Light of my life, fire of my loins, my sin, my soul. Lolita. The tip of the tongue, taking a trip of three steps down the pallet to tap at three on the teeth. Lolita. She was low, plain low in the morning, standing four feet ten in one sock. She was Lola in slacks. She was Dolly at school. She was Dolores on the dotted line. But in my arms, she was always Lolita. Ugh. Ugh. It's so good. Man, what the fuck have you done with your life? This guy wrote this, I'm again, this is like his fifth language, I'm telling you, and he, what am I doing with my life? So anyway, Ayn Rand hangs out with this guy's younger sister, she's bourgeois, which means she's got a ton of money. Her father, Ayn Rand's dad, is a very uh, successful business owner, and she goes at the age of 16, they finally allow, so there's the Russian Revolution that happens, and basically uh, it's Lenin. Uh, the rule of the Bolsheviks fuck up Russia because Russia gets really screwed by Lenin and Stalin. And what happens is um, these assholes under uh, Lenin's regime, Lenin's regime takes over her father's business, which is what they did. They take people's businesses and homes and they displace you. Guess what? You don't have money. You don't have a home. Someone else has your home. Who? The government. Um. So yeah, so she grows up watching her dad, who's a successful business owner, have it all taken away by the government, Um, and then she gets to go to school after the revolution at Petrograd University, and she's one of the first group of women ever to be allowed to go to university. At 16 years old, she majors in history, where she reads Aristotle, Plato, and who? Nietzsche. Okay, and we all know Nietzsche's dangerous. If you listen to the episode I did on him and the genealogy of morals, uh, you can kind of misinterpret a lot of what that guy says. <laughs> a lot of room for really taking Nietzsche literally. A lot of you know that will to power talk. A lot of uh, b- b- maybe the dominance of the rush of the oh, sorry German people. Maybe the inferiority of the Jews, a lot of a lot of weird stuff in Nietzsche that can be very misinterpreted and misconstrued. So she reads Nietzsche, she reads Dostoevsky, which we discussed last week in a little tiny bit, Victor Hugo, Edmund Rostand. I never read that guy Friedrich Schiller, who became her perennial favorites. So what happens? She gets finally to this, you know, academic school. Her family's displaced. She becomes poor after these Bolsheviks, and uh. What happens is they go through the university, the government, them, they, and they purge all the bourgeois students, which means she gets kicked out of school. So she gets punished essentially for being wealthy and talented. And she comes to the United States, finally, thank God, and she tries to get into, uh, it looks like show business like everyone else, and she, I don't know, ends up finally writing The Fountainhead and all this shit, all this crazy books. And she gets some success. Um, And objectivism is roughly... God, I'm going to fuck this up. Please don't email me and tell me how stupid I am. I know. I know. Uh, So here we go. Objectivism's central tenets, this is on Wikipedia, are that reality exists independently of consciousness, that human beings have direct contact with reality through sense perception, that one can attain objective knowledge from perception through the process of concept. Okay, this is this is killing me. Basically, what she stood for is the development of self, the development of if you're good at something, be really good at something, of selfishness, and that the weak, eh, fuck them, fuck them, and that society should. Uh, because she loved capitalism, especially laissez-faire capitalism, because of where she came from, which was an oppressive, horrible system that punished uh, people who did really well. So she came to America and she saw in capitalism, I think, this wonderful open place where you can do theoretically anything. And um, and the book *The Fountainhead* is about an architect who wants to design the buildings he wants to design regardless of what's popular at the time and then he gets punished for it that's kind of the idea so you can see like where she comes from um her background obviously lends itself to this way of being you no know, uh yeah basically let you know be the best you can be and and don't ever give yourself to other people and don't give up your power here we go my philosophy in essence this is ayn rand's quote my philosophy in essence is the concept of man as a heroic being with his own happiness as the moral purpose of his life, with productive achievement as his noblest activity and reason as his only absolute. So you have somebody who's highly logical, you know, meaning highly reason-oriented, hated religion. She was an atheist, more existential in her leanings uh, in terms of like you can you can create who you want to become. It's it sounds even a little self helpy, you know. It it kind of leans into the new age movement now. This doesn't sound far off from uh, <laughs> from from what's all that horse shit that Tony Robbins is telling you to do and uh, and uh, the the secret and all this crap. The concept of man is a heroic being with his own happiness as the moral purpose of his life. So that's I think where a lot of uh, philosophers and people in the philosophy community are like, mm, happiness is the moral purpose of your life. With productive achievement as his noblest activity, it's a little ass-clinchy because how do you trust that everyone knows what their own moral purpose, what the happiness is? You know what I mean? It's it's a little too self-oriented. Um, and productive achievement as the noblest activity it's like well okay i could get that like but it also leaned towards not caring for people who couldn't care for themselves and i want to play a wonderful clip of ayn Rand. um she was really hated and really loved both a lot of people thought she was evil noam chomsky referred to her as uh one of the most evil figures <laughs> In the modern period. Uh, here's why. So she was asked, she did some Don, no, this isn't Donahue, this is some old interview she gave um, about retarded people, uh, the mentally handicapped. How should we care for them, Ayn Rand? Okay, here's what Auntie, Auntie Ayn said.
0: The newest proposals of having special millions spent on subnormal children
1: and on the. Hand- subnormal children. Just so you know, that's what she said. Having millions spent on subnormal children. Go ahead, Ayn.
0: including those so-called needing buses is the attempt to bring everybody to the level of the handicapped, and if it's merely an issue of <laughs> physical handicap like a broken leg, uh, which doesn't affect the mind, that would be a little more excusable, so I don't believe that such privileges should be granted to any group. But it includes the mentally retarded, which is the subnormal the children who are unable to learn, so that at the end of spending thousands or millions of taxpayers' money, uh, you're left with a half-idiot who may learn to read and write, may. On the other hand, there are no special schools, or very, very few, for gifted children, and to pass up the gifted on whom all our lives depend. If it weren't for intelligent people, well, what would happen to us without the better mind, who are able to survive and who carry the weight of everybody else, yet we don't spend any money on them. We do every. Well,
1: Okay, so basically, <laughs> America's Sweetheart. Ayn Rand, on why subnormal children, we shouldn't devote any resources to the retarded, uh, to the elderly, to people that can't really pull their weight in society. (laughs) I think someone else had this hmm, theory. Someone else had this philosophy. Oh, yes, Adolf Hitler. That's right. That charming (laughs) fellow. I think he rounded up all the retarded people too and put them in death camps. (laughs) This is why Ayn Rand is not so beloved in our culture. But on the other hand, there's other shit that makes sense to the American capitalist mindset, which is, "Hey man, basically be all you can be. Do everything you can, achieve, and um why don't we why, why don't we um reward the high achievers?" That's what she's saying, I think, you know. Who knows what the fuck Ayn Rand is talking about. But really that is kind of the point of like uh we should be rewarding people who are who are really gifted in our societies, and instead we give resources and time to the people that we have to sort of carry their weight okay okay it's it's a little it's a little ethically morally hard to swallow as a as a westerner <laughs> but again, hey man, eastern blocks this is totally how they feel, not all of them but Yeah, this is a little more palatable in that region. I feel like my parents would really subscribe to this. (sighs) Man. But let's not completely uh, shit on Ayn Rand because the point of the story is she does encourage self-reliance, self-development, and being a little selfish, and maybe, you know, eschewing your duties every now and then as a dutiful person to others. And focus on your own shit, man. That's a very loose interpretation of Ayn Rand. But what we can take from this is to be a little selfish. Okay, here we go. So on the book, it's called The Virtue of Selfishness. Ayn Rand chose this book's provocative title because she was on a mission to overcome centuries of demonization. The word selfishness is a synonym of evil. The image it conjures is of a murderous brute who tramples over piles of corpses to achieve his own ends and pursues nothing but the gratification of the mindless whims of any immediate moment. And I think what she's trying to say is let's redefine that, and I tend to agree here, is that selfishness does have a negative connotation, but why can't we kind of tweak that a bit to mean concern with one's own interests? You know, maybe not even concern, but how about respect for your own interests? How about a cultivation of one's own curiosities? You know this concept does not include she writes a moral evaluation. It does not tell us whether concern with one's own interests is good or evil, nor does it tell us what constitutes man's actual interests. It is a task of ethics to answer such questions blah blah blee, blah 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 um, anyway, I think she didn't like sacrifice uh, she didn't like the idea of having to sacrifice to exist. Um, of having to and I think that comes again from her background of having her stuff taken by the government and redistributed amongst the poor. And I think she was very traumatized by that, clearly. Um but yeah, I mean, how many times have you in your life done things that you're motivated? At least I have shit out of guilt, uh, a sense of like, I don't really want to do that, but nah, fuck, I have to. And um, I've decided not to do that anymore. And I think it was from listening to Wayne Dyer. He's got this old-timey book called Your Erroneous Zones. And in it, he was like, don't don't go. Basically, you know when you have to have a family obligation and you're like, ah, shit, I don't want to see these people. That feeling you get of like, ah, I don't really want to do that. Well, guess what? You don't. <laughs> Just because you share DNA with someone doesn't mean you have to do shit. More of them or with them ever ever <laughs> you don't have to do that. So I stopped doing a lot of shit that I had a sense of duty uh, or a sense of guilt motivating. I think the point is don't do anything. Why are we doing anything out of a sense of guilt? Guilt is a horrifying motivator. You know it's it's fucking fruitless, fruitless, fruit. Oh, terrible. terrible. Uh, Yeah, what's really interesting, my husband the other day, I was breastfeeding my son, and he and I were talking about, you know, sexy times. And he's like, it's so funny, all the men in this house are just using up your body parts right now. I'm like, God, isn't that the truth? I got a a little boy sucking on my boobs, a husband that wants to get in the Vagine. Like, every part of me is being taken by dudes in my life, the men in my life. (laughs) What the fuck? (laughs) And, you know, it was a lighthearted. A, a lighthearted statement that he had made and I didn't take it very seriously but I thought oh yeah that is quite a quite an interesting um, observation on his part like Jesus Christ is there a bit of me that isn't being isn't being sucked on or try to you know someone's trying to put stuff in there <laughs> My my body is being completely used for reproduction but yeah so I guess I'm feeling a bit of like, oof, I got to reclaim some of this space. And, um, and I look at my other friends who have, you know, children. I have a friend in particular who shall remain nameless, but for years, years is like, ah, I just want to take yoga. Ah, if only I had the time. And it's like, well, yeah, you have two kids that are in school all day now. They're, they're of this age where they're really on their own. And, that would seem to free up hours for yoga, for for writing. She's always like, oh, I wish I could write. I want to write again. It's like, well, you can. Like the, the kids go to sleep at 8 and they're at school all day. Somewhere, surely there's time to do this. And I think the guilt of taking a moment to do something for herself is so overwhelming, which you find that that doesn't service anybody, right? If you're not willing to step back and, and be selfish, you're not going to be able to, to to really give to anything or anybody. And I know that's like such a fucking trite thing to say, but, it, it, you know, God damn it, it's true. I remember she got, at one point, she got a puppy, and, uh, and she goes, well, there goes a year of my life. can't do anything. I certainly can't take yoga now. And I'm like, what? what? If a puppy stops you from doing that, oh, boy then that's definitely not the dogs it's not the kids that are holding you back you know i think it's a sense like i said of of guilt of something and here's some stuff i've been doing to claim my space to be a little more selfish because in order to be selfish you got to free up your time and women i know there's pressure to uh, have a perfect home to cook those perfect meals to look perfect Uh, believe me and I I get a ration of shit every time another woman steps in my house and I gotta hear how my curtains aren't perfect and how my I should be cooking with this and I should be doing X, Y, and Z and Y you know what you should do this carpet you should get a carpet Jesus no I shouldn't I really shouldn't because I don't have time to give a shit I'm too busy being selfish okay here we go here's some small ways uh, to be selfish to give a shit less to follow the lead of our intelligent male counterparts who have been successfully selfish. I grew up with a single dad and a single mom, uh, but weekend dads do shit like have paper plates and plastic forks. And I tell you, of all the things that I have grew up on, I used to not see the virtue of plastic and paper plates, uh, but guess who's been using them now since December? That's right, and I love it. I love paper towels. I love uh, disposable shit because that means I don't have to clean a damn thing. I throw that shit straight in the trash, my man. That's what's up. I love it because it's a wonderful thing. Uh, I don't, I'm, not, when, I'm not doing dishes. You're out of your mind. I don't have time to do it. And the time I spend scrubbing a dish, I could be doing uh, those valuable minutes I could be doing anything else. I could just be sitting and staring, which to me is very valuable. So there you go. Do yourself a favor. Paper plates, plastic, Amazon, use my banner. (laughs) Can I tell you two apps that have changed my life and have freed up time like a motherfucker? Uh, Why are you doing your grocery shopping when you can pay somebody else to do it for a nominal fee? I'm talking seven bucks. Would you pay $7 for someone else to do your shopping? I do. It's called Instacart. Yes, Instacart. It's an app. You do your grocery shopping. Someone else does the shopping and brings that shit to your house for you. All you do is put that stuff in the fridge. That's what's up. I don't spend my own waste a goddamn hour shopping. No freaking way. I'm over it. I'm over it. I ain't doing it. DoorDash. DoorDash. Let me tell you something. If your husband comes to you after you've been taking care of that kid all day and you're fucking exhausted, or you've been working all day, or your spouse, whoever comes to you, what's for dinner? What do you, what, what do you want to do? Order it on fucking DoorDash. Again, a nominal fee. Actually, they kind of rip people off recently. If you don't want to use DoorDash, I believe Postmates. Postmates, that's another site they don't rip you off. Uh, they'll pick up whatever food you want in the neighborhood, local, to you. You order it, they pick it up, they bring it to your house, and guess what? You've saved yourself another hour or two of cooking, of cleaning. Fuck that nonsense. And I know you're a woman, you're supposed to be perfect, right? You're supposed to cook nutritious meals for everybody. Fuck that. You can order a nutritious meal using an app. I prefer to do that. Um, Now, this is a luxury item. If you can afford this, I highly recommend it. If you cannot afford this, find a way. (laughs) A cleaning lady. A fucking cleaning lady. And I'm telling you, if you live in a city like I do where it's very competitive, you can find someone who would do this for a very reasonable price. You can hire somebody to scrub your toilet. That's right. Someone else will do it for you for a nominal fee. Isn't it worth $40? I think that's what we paid when I lived in a one or one bedroom place once a month maybe. Have that woman come and do a deep clean. Have someone else do it for the love of God. Why why are you scrubbing your toilets? You have such valuable time on the weekends. You've no time. If you can afford it, I highly recommend it. Jesus Christ. Don't ever pick up someone else's underwear. I don't pick up my husband's underwear. I make someone else do. I'm not fucking doing it. I don't have house guests either. You know why? Because I'm selfish. I don't want house guests. There's maybe two people on this planet. I'm not going to name who. A couple people I allow to sleep in my home overnight because I have known them since the dawn of time. But you better get your life if you think you're gonna. You're a grown up, and you're gonna. My house is not a hotel. Absolutely not. I don't do house guests. I'm an adult. I need my privacy. And I'm selfish. I got to maintain my sense of self. No guests. And guess what? I'm not giving you a ride to the airport either. I'm not doing that shit. I don't give rides to the airport. I don't help people move. If you ask me to move, I'm going to tell you to go fuck yourself. I'm not doing it. Not because I don't love you, but because my time is valuable. And I I don't even do my own moving. You're out of your goddamn mind. Don't don't do it. I mean do it if you want to do it. If you really get joy out of helping people move or drive to the fucking airport, but if it's out of a sense of guilt or a sense of uh, duty, uh-uh, over. I don't do it anymore because I don't I'm not I, I listen. I would I I I'd rather deal with the 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 second the pang of guilt over being selfish. And then that feeling's gone. You know what guilt is what I read somewhere? It's repressed anger. I'm actually angry at you. Guilt isn't real, anger's is real. <laughs> don't ever do stuff from guilt. And again, back to the holidays. Don't don't spend the holidays with people you don't like. You know? Don't don't fucking take trips across the country to go hang out with people that treat you like shit. Right? The relative that tells you you're fat, questions what you what are you doing with your life and all. No, 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 no. Be selfish. Stay home. I say stay home. Don't get on an airplane for <laughs> <We're> holidays. <laughs> This is something I learned from the self-help guru, Louise Hay. I just love Louise Hay because she says things in a very simple way, very complicated ideas in a very simplified fashion. Um, Really, really talented lady, man. She's a smart broad. Louise Hay said, uh, eliminate the word should. Eliminate the word should because should... Means you're, you means you're, everything you're doing is wrong, right? You should be healthier. You should exercise. You should, should, should. Eliminate the word should because it's self-punishing is what she says. And I agree. I, I totally agree with that. Yeah. And uh, here's another thing too, man. I got to tell you, watch your shit. Watch your own shit. And by that I mean just because you're wifed up, just because you're married, just because you're in a comfortable relationship or you think you have a great job or you have security, Still, look at the bank statements. Always. Look at your money. See what's up with your um, credit score. Look at, look at stuff, guys. Don't just get on autopilot. That's how people get fucked constantly. Be selfish. Assert yourself into the world of your finances, of your physical health. Be fucking proactive. I don't trust these doctors. I, I, I don't trust anybody. I always trust me. I know. I know. I, f- I know what I feel. I know what I want. I know what I need. You know what I mean don't don't listen to yourself above everybody don't don't be fooled into thinking that because we live in America that everything uh, that people can be trusted to take care of you nobody's going to take care of you the way you take care of you nobody absolutely nobody. you must always look out for yourself and I know that sounds horrible, but it's not it's the absolute truth, especially women you know we like to think oh the man in the suit's gonna Take care of me, the husband. No, 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 boo boo. They do, yes, and they should, yes. But at the end of the day, it's always on you to be a little bit responsible for yourself, right? Right. There we go. Except for those subnormal children that Ayn Rand has. Anyways, listen, boo boo, Lauren, your life is not ruined. Well, remember that your life was the norm up until about 1980. It's not. It just feels archaic now because everyone's into raging and getting drunk and ruining their lives in their twenties by doing that stuff. Now what you're what you're doing is you're just an advanced curriculum, you know? You know what I'm saying? And you can still get fucked up on the weekends. You know, how many people do I know that have kids and they still get hammered? That's the best part, is that once they're a little bit older you can just get drunk. You can still you know, fucking do what you want, man, do what you want. Anyway, there you go. I hope that was helpful. Ayn Rand, if you want to read her stuff, uh, The Virtues of Selfishness, uh, that's the book I reference. Also, if you have about five years to kill, read uh, The Fountainhead. Atlas Shrugged, I hear, is very good. I've never read that. Um, if you want to feel weird inside and dirty, uh, read Nabokov's Lolita. Oh, it's such a good book. Oh my God. Okay, Uh, there you go. That was my episode, and I'm going to continue being selfish this week. I'm going to take some time. Oh, can I tell you what I did this week, man? It was so fucking good. You know, I can't... I I had to get out of the house. I I ran away, and I ran to a meditation center this week, last week. And again, I was being selfish. I was like, I got to go. I just got to go. I got to go. Two things that I got to do, I got to meditate and then I got to have McDonald's. And I meditated first and it was so great. I went to a group, a place where there's a group of people doing it. If you want to try meditation and it's daunting and you don't know how to do it, where to do it, when to do it, go find a group of people doing it and show up. That's all you got to do. And it's it really changed my whole outlook, dudes. It's, it's like, oh man, it just helped me so much. And then I had McDonald's. I had a quarter pounder with cheese and some fries and a coke and a lot of ketchup because man, there's nothing in a nice quarter pounder with cheese can't solve. You know? And I, I don't do it all the time anymore. I did it a lot um, last year, but I don't do it that much. But when I do, it feels right, you know, it feels right. I have to do what I have to do. So there you go. I hope you find your 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 meditation and your quarter pounder with cheese moment this week. And, uh, and I hope you say no to doing shit you don't want to do. And I hope you don't see people you don't want to see. And I hope that you find the strength inside of you, Miss Lauren, to say no and to, and to find what it is. What do you think you're missing? What is it you think you're missing? What are you missing out on in your mind? And go do it. Go fucking do that thing. You know? Yeah. Yeah. What are you missing? And plan. All you got to do is plan a little bit more when you got a a young chitlin. Just plan and you can do the same shit. Same shit, different toilet. (laughs) You just got to plan. There you go. Yeah. What do you really want to fucking do? Isn't that the hard? Why is that such a hard thing? What do you really want? Oh my gosh. I don't know. All right. Well, in the meantime, I'm going to listen to De La Soul and I'm going to... I'm going to go do my other podcast, the, uh, Your Mom's House, with my hubby. And I'm going to be selfish today. <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, I love you. And stay black. And uh, until next week, that's been D-Bro. Now what? I don't know. Philosophize, Philosophize with, with, with. with.